About four or five months ago, I started seeing a psychiatrist. You know, I was passing out and uh, they couldn't find nothing. She's been helping me with that. Well, I'm sure you did it with complete discretion. And uh, speaking for pussy, if he's still alive, I'm sure he would agree. It's not the worst thing I ever heard. I was seeing a therapist myself about a year ago. I had some issues, enough said. I learned some coping skills. Look, uh, this thing of ours, the way it's going, be better if we could admit to each other uh, these are painful, stressful times. Positive vibes only, 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 only. Hello, welcome back to Big Nothing. Yeah, back uh, back from the dead. Coming at you from an undisclosed location. Yeah, we got out. We got out, baby. Yeah, we finally left the great Satan, yeah. hated America. <laughs> yes, of course. We, yeah, managed to, uh, yeah, escape orbit to a uh, functioning, we'll just say a functioning state. I'm just saying we got, went from a bad place, America... To a better place. We're dead. We're dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we are still still here, still talking about The Sopranos. Yeah. I know that The Sopranos has now become cringe and Reddit. Yeah. No, it's... We... Uh, <laughs> we left it too long. We really fell asleep at <laughs> we, the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> we lost that, that wave that that um, Sopranos out of context Twitter girl got like 500,000 followers. Yeah. It's too late for us now. No. That's why we killed ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but the yeah. show, the show, not our show, but The Sopranos is still good. Still good. Still worth talking about. No matter how cringe and ridded it is. Which it's going to become even, even more so. What? Because the Until movie's then. coming out? Yeah, because the movie's coming out. Movie, I think, uh, what are your predictions for the movie? Mm-hmm. I think it actually looks pretty good. I think it's going to be cringe. I, I mean, we'll see. Maybe the trailers are, I, I hope the trailers are very misleading. Because it looks like a movie about being in the mafia. It does not look like a movie about... Whatever The Sopranos is about. Yeah, the therapy or America or whatever. Yeah. It seems like well, a movie it, that cares about stuff, which... It's about the Newark riots, right? Yes. Which The Sopranos takes on race and racial politics in America were never, <laughs> not, never its strongest not suit. Not what you want, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... Everybody's learned and grown since 2007. Yeah. Maybe we'll finally get the woke Sopranos that we always <laughs> wanted. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, my expectations are low. So if it's good, I'll be surprised. And if it's bad, I'll be right. I want it to be... It would be really great if all of the characters that come into the show later are represented. Like, baby Tony meets baby Melfi. No, no, no. People, a... okay, you want to talk about being cringe <laughs> in Reddit? People on the Soprano subreddit, and I'm pretty sure this was like a genuine earnest post, like posted something about like, here's my, my fantasy for what, what's going to be an MSON. I know I'm not going to get it, but we see Tony on a college campus. He walks past a 
a lithe young brunette who's who's all <laughs> all all pins and and he makes eyes at her, but she doesn't notice until she turns over her shoulder. It's Melfi. <laughs> Fucking Christ! <laughs> What's wrong with you, sickos? What? See, this is what I fully accept that the audience of the show, including the people who are now getting back into it today, the millennials who love it, are deeply Reddit. Yeah. But hey, oh. The show, it's still, you know, it, it transcends its audience, as it has always had to do. Yeah, yeah, that was why it was allowed to be successful. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It always needs a, a bunch of dumb assholes Propping it up. It for the yeah. reasons. <laughs> Having stupid thoughts about what Tony hey, should Gabagool. do. Hey, So badass when Furio beats up that lady. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe they cucked him in the next season. <laughs> Making him have some gay love interest. Any any other updates that we need to do? Any other updates? Um, I feel like I have... I feel like I had so many. Um... What else is going on? Uh, I don't know. What else is happening? COVID rages on. Yeah, it's uh, getting worse. Uh, yeah, if you're sucking down horse paste, uh, you're a treasured listener. Don't stop. <laughs> we'll be calling you. Even better if you're one of the guys who is now advanced to the next stage of the, whatever that guy's name is, protocol, where you take uh, anti-androgen drugs, which is so fucking funny Yeah, to why me. aren't people talking about that? I don't know. Let me see. I want to find, I have the protocol safe somewhere. So the, the, the new thing is not ivermectin, which is already passe as a joke, yeah. but... Oh. Um, yeah, Dr. Paul Merrick, who is a real doctor at Eastern Virginia Medical School, but yeah, who has just been like putting together these very elaborate and like slick looking, how you should be asking your doctor to treat your COVID uh, or like pre, like pre-treating yourself for COVID protocols. Mm -hmm. Big ivermectin guy has like started incorporating anti-androgen therapy as a second line treatment along with B-complex vitamins. Says that androgens augment SARS-CoV-2 infectivity by promoting the expression of transmembrane proteins and then recommends his patient, like recommends you take, yeah, dutasteride, spironolactone, uh, I think finasteride might also be in there somewhere. Literally feminizing drugs. Right. Literally soy. High, high concentration of soy. <laughs> pharmaceutical soy that men should take to not get COVID. If you're a real, true patriot... You must bimbofy you yourself. You must bimbofy. This is a bimbification protocol, and it's the only way to survive the liberal virus. I can't believe... Yeah, I can't believe this hasn't been memed. Yeah. That It's so fucking funny. <laughs> so fucking You've funny. You've got to grow your anti-COVID tits. Yeah, these are drugs that if you are that like among many but these are some of the drugs that you can take if you are trans and are transitioning uh if you were assigned male at birth and are transitioning you might take some of these and then people are just <laughs> take that's so funny it's so funny that like oh, yes it is it's so funny especially just injecting yourself with a million different things when all you need to do is take this little shot that's all it is. It's not a big deal. I have a lot of sympathy for like anti-vaccine sentiment and skepticism of the medical profession. But sure. at this point in a, a global pandemic that is killing thousands of people every day, 
in the US alone, all you need to do is take this little shot. All you need to That's do all it is. is take this little shot and then violently vomit blood and poop blood for nine hours straight. Right. That's exactly. all you have to it's do. It's just a little bull swelling. It's just a little yeah, it's just autism. A, just a little, just a touch of autism. Not a big deal. We all have it. <laughs> but enough about anti-androgen therapy and more about psychodynamic therapy i think mm. so today we're going to be talking about therapy on the sopranos we're going to be talking about some of the ways in which the show portrays therapy as a profession some of the things that it suggests about the usefulness or effectiveness of therapy and some of the kind of tensions in the show between what particular episodes or particular writers tell us about what therapy is doing for tony and uh what others including david chase seem to think the point of the Malfi scenes or the point of the whole premise of Tony being in, in therapy um, is good for. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit also about Chase's own history with, with psychotherapy and how that uh, influences his writing in the show. Yeah. So right off the bat, I, for, for me, The Sopranos succeeds because it's built on three absolutely brilliant performances by James Gandolfini, by Edie Falco as Carmela, and by Michael Imperioli as Chris. Yeah, definitely. And then it's got these kind of minor roles or um, background roles, which are played with just as much... Uh, Gusto. Yeah, and, and by incredibly talented actors or actors who are just perfect for the roles that they're in, like uh, Drea Di Matteo for... Yes. Um, Adriana? Yeah, for Adriana. <laughs> uh, Maron. And then these, these great roles that come in for a season or two, like uh, Joe Pantoliano as uh, Ralphie yeah. Silverito. Many people who watch the show add an actress's name to this list of, of great performances. Lorraine Bracco as Dr. Malfi. I have never understood this. Dr. Malfi has always struck me as one of the, the real weak points of the show. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's like a bad actor, exactly. No, I don't think so either. I mean, Lorraine Bracco is very good. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, she's, she's, she can be good. She can be very good. She has some of the weirdest line reads in the entire show. The judicial system has gotten much better in dealing with sexual predators. Oh, yeah. We all know you're a sucker for those Irish girls. Every Italian boy bows down to the freckle. To experience the thrill of being terrified without the consequences. She's the uh, she's the Cisco of this show. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, she's she's very. She has these kind of Avery Brooks tendencies where she just does things in ways that I do not. Yeah, do not understand. Counterintuitive. Yeah. Very wooden reads of, of particular lines, but with yeah. no consistency in. Yeah, stagey. Yeah. Sometimes. Because I remember when we first wa started watching the show, we thought she was British. We thought she was British doing... I never thought that she was... Yes, you did. I, oh, you mean you thought the actress was we thought British that we, doing an we accent? We both thought the actress... We thought, like, because her delivery would be, like, would be fine, 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 and then really stilted and weird out of nowhere. Uh-huh. We thought that, yeah, she m must be British and, like, be doing a very practiced American accent. That, right, like, which is crazy because she's, falters. like, a Brooklyn native and famous for her yeah. Brooklyn accent. We forgot she was in Goodfellas, I guess, yeah. <laughs> But I don't think it's, I don't really think it's Lorraine Bracco's fault. I think that the, the writers are very inconsistent in how they want to treat her character. And there are a couple of storylines that kind of get set up for Malfi and never go anywhere. And also, especially after uh, Employee of the Month, 
where her story kind of comes to a, a climax. Yes. The show is very unsure about where to go with her. Yes, that would have been a perfect time to write her out. Not that like I don't want her in the show, but just like that was a perfect moment of like buttoning her story up. Yeah, exactly. She has this kind of moral victory over herself in her relationship to Tony, and she realizes Tony does this thing where he draws a lot of people into his life and into the chaos and crime of his life. Yeah, he's magnetic. And which Malfi is, what makes is him a good yeah, person. right, yeah. exactly. And Malfi is always on the edge of being drawn into into that. In Employee of the Munch, she... Employee the- of the Munch. That's what you just said. <laughs> Very disrespectful. In that episode, she has the strongest motivation that she will have at any point in the series to allow Tony to insinuate himself into her life in a, in a way that goes beyond the professional relationship that they have. And she resists that motivation. And she says, no, I won't allow this relationship to go there and yeah that's the end of the episode it's a pretty powerful moment but after that the show really does not have any idea what to do with her so it, it goes from storyline to storyline uh tries to make her into an alcoholic at one point oh god yeah that was so stupid yeah extremely stupid and also it's just resolved for no reason yeah well i, I think somebody correctly realized it was a stupid idea but you know the magic of tv yeah. you've got different writers on every episode and sometimes things just don't pan out the the way one person was planning them. Yeah, she's back with Richard for a while, then they're right, apart yeah. again. I mean, I guess that also revolves around Employee of the Month and her son. Like, yeah, it's 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 very weak. It wobbles. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. So yeah, the Malfi storyline that runs through the whole show is kind of yeah, like you say, wobbly. It is at some points one of the great strengths of the show, and at other points it seems like a totally extraneous. They really don't know what. Tony is doing in therapy or what Malfi is doing trying to be his therapist. Yeah, it mostly therapy from that point on is mostly like a it's less about like character development and more about plot development. Like it gives Tony a place to like catch yeah. up on like what he's thinking about stuff and Yeah, it becomes much less about Tony and Malfi and more a plot device for Tony working out some particular yeah, exactly. um, aspect of doing like a front facing camera kind of yeah, confessional. Yeah, 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 exactly. So those scenes can kind of become less interesting. And there's another moment in uh, season four, episode 11, Calling All Cars, where the relationship with Malfi comes to an end kind of abruptly. And she asks him, And you're no longer interested in changing, in finding a way out. No, I guess not. You should be in therapy. All this fucking self-knowledge. What the fuck has it gotten me? Okay, maybe it got me some shit in the beginning some leadership strategies. All we do now is we sit around half the time shooting the breeze about philosophy, the Italians, my Uncle Eckley. I'm sorry, I don't want to do this anymore. And you can say that I'm running away, but I've been here longer than I ever thought I'd stay, longer than anybody ever thought I'd stay. Which, again, would have been a fine place to... Yeah, yeah, I, I think this is the problem, that Lorraine Breaker can be a great actress, that she was a big draw of the show. Many people saw her as one of the star figures. Right, she's a strong female character who isn't tainted by her attachment to the mob like all the other strong female characters. Yeah, and she's also the only character that, I don't know, becomes any kind of perspective character who's not actually involved in the mafia. Yeah. So the show can never really get rid of her, even though there are limited places that therapy can go. As Tony says when he breaks up with her, he's stuck with her and stuck in therapy for much longer than anyone ever expected him to. But the the show does wrap up their story 
at the end, wraps up the Malfi relationship. They had all these good opportunities to do it in a narratively satisfying way and instead right. wait till the last second and then do it in a very unsatisfying way, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I yeah. fully agree with that. I think that the ending we get is very revealing of some of the things that the show believes about its characters. Yeah. It's very revealing of David Chase's attitude in particular to this relationship that had built through these six seasons between Tony and Malfi. Yes, and we will get more into that. Yeah. I have a lot to say about that. So there are, there's a sense in which the ending between Tony and Malfi is an appropriate close to the show, but it's also one of these points of tension within the show where the show kind of speaks against what it's trying to say or the history that is built up and the characters that have built up reveal the limitations of what David Chase or what the, the writers more broadly believe about Tony. Yeah. The finish of the whole arc of therapy, it comes in the penultimate episode, The Blue Comet. We see Malfi... She's with a bunch of psychiatrists in, um, at, at a dinner with Elliot. They start fighting. Elliot is talking about how it's futile to treat sociopaths. And he's making very pointed remarks to Melfi. Right? Somebody else recommends this study. It was fascinating. This, uh, the study was by um, Yokelson. By Samuel Yokelson. And Samenow. And Stanton Samenow. Uh, and their study is the criminal personality. And we get this sequence of Malfi reading not the actual three-volume work, yeah, the but um, the summary that is contained in a more popular work by the, the latter author, yeah. Stanton Seminow. Which is very funny, because that must mean that that's all David Chase read. Yeah, that of course. Means he I don't know why he would read 1,500 pages of yeah. psychology. <laughs> I don't know why he would read a book when he's writing for TV. That's crazy. So Malfi, you know, reads for the first time this landmark study in her own field that she's never heard of before. Which is at the point, like, when the show was being filmed, was already close to 30 years old. It came out in the 70s. <laughs> right, and yeah. it had been, like, massively important in policy and yeah. the judiciary. Yeah, the pen yeah. <laughs> it the been, you know, absorbed by the Reagan administration and used for a lot of its criminal justice Was very policy. controversial, like... Right. So it's a little bit unbelievable that Malfi has no idea what this book is or that in the six years she's been treating Tony, she's never considered looking into the psychology of crime. I guess this is the other problem with the Malfi character, where anytime you're writing like a professional or intellectual character, that character has to be uh, constrained by the actual limits right. of knowledge. They can't be of smarter than you. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. So they just always look really dumb. Right. Although they did, they did consult with some like mental health professionals, but... That can only get you so far. Right, exactly. So taking that um, for granted, Malfi discovers this. She, she decides, oh my God, Tony Soprano is a criminal. <laughs> he has a criminal personality and there's nothing I can do. <laughs> yeah, and she does, she, what she gets out of this study is that Tony is untreatable. and that At least with the kind of therapy she has been practicing with him. Yeah, the kind of therapy she's been doing is not going to help Tony. Um, because he's a criminal, it becomes one more criminal operation, which is one of these <laughs> sentences that the, yes. the camera zooms way in on in this sequence. And we actually have um, we've got a little treat. A little for our treat for our treat boys. Coming up, since you've all been so good in waiting for this episode. Yes. We have conducted our very first interview for Big Nothing. Yes. And you're never going to believe it. We got a huge, a huge fish on the line here. <laughs> Big catch. 
Is it an actor from the show? No. Is it David Chase? No. Is it anyone who was actually involved with the show at all? No. Even better. Uh, we managed to talk to, uh, unfortunately, Dr. Yokelson is um, passed away right after the criminal personality came out in the 70s, but Stanton Samanow is still with us, and he was willing to talk to us a little bit about, about this study that Dr. Melfi sort of uses to dump Tony. Right. So what's the story with how Chase came across this study? Uh, yeah. So David Chase came across this study very, very late um, in the writing of the show. Uh, he was being given an award from the Psychiatrists Association, the American Psychiatrists Association, I think. And one of them, you know, they're talking, one of them mentioned this study, mentioned the criminal personality by Yokelson and Samenow. The study which details how criminals uh, are unreachable by talk therapy, only use it to make themselves better at crime, and how there is, yeah, again, there is like no way to effectively do therapy as we know it with criminals yeah or not therapy as we know it but like the the kind of therapy that Malfi practices where there's a lot of focus on childhood events where the unconscious yeah a lot of trying to determine what is causing destructive patterns of thought without a lot of focus on how to address the the actual present patterns of thought right so chase yeah found out about this study while he was at this psychiatrist's conference um getting this award for portraying a psychiatrist on TV, uh, looked into it a little bit and realized, oh, okay, this has to be the end of the show. Melfi cannot continue with Tony. It's only making him a better criminal. It's never going anywhere. And that was sort of the beginning of the end for for Tony and and for his relationship with Melfi and for the show as a whole. So the show ends with Melfi getting very annoyed at Tony in a session. and, And on the surface, she's calling him out for some of the shitty things that he has said in therapy over the years. Right. What do you know about your condition? You miss appointments because you don't give a shit about commitments, about what I do, about the body of work that's gone into building up this science. And she gets up. Tony realizes that she's kind of had it with him. The door shuts, and that is the last that we see of Malfi. We never see her again. The final episode has no Malfi in it, no psychiatry in it. So we'll, we'll talk about that specific scene, that last therapy scene at the end of the episode. But for now, we just want to talk about what David Chase thinks about therapy and how he, as the person who was responsible for the ending of the show um, and who had a lot of creative control over those last episodes, how he understood the importance of therapy in The Sopranos. Um, yeah, so David Chase, obviously a absolutely miserable person it should surprise no one that he spent time in therapy um but he started going in his 30s because his wife's sister had just died and one of his parents like in response to his wife's sister dying like made some unsympathetic comment and he was you know fixated on it and they were flying back from the funeral and all he could think about and talk about was his own relationship with his parents and how upset he was over it not comforting his wife who you know in their early 30s who just lost a sibling and yeah his wife told him like you have to go to therapy so he did he started seeing a therapist out in LA he has said explicitly that Melfi is based on his therapist that he was seeing in Los Angeles I know it was talk therapy but I don't know more specifically what kind of like modality it was or anything yeah why don't we talk about the model of therapy that we see in the show yeah okay so the therapy we see in the show is I would say like psychodynamic I guess is probably the 
best yeah. umbrella. Tony? It's like a very vaguely and indeterminately Freudian version of what psychiatry is. You talk about your mother, you talk about childhood experiences, and you focus on breakthroughs where yeah, the insight. patient has like a yeah, yeah. A shocking insight into their own past that explains their present feelings or behavior. Right. So psychodynamic therapy, as opposed to psychoanalysis, like they're both a form of depth psychology. They both rely on like a close relationship with the therapist. In traditional psychoanalysis, I think you go every day. Psychodynamic therapy is more like once or twice a week, which I think is what Tony does. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, and it's about this. Yeah. Having this very open, free flowing relationship between therapist and analyzand, I guess. Mm -hmm. And yeah, focusing on these insights, uh, not so much free association, but still plenty of dream talk, plenty of, yeah, mother, childhood, early trauma talk. Right. That, you know, has now tracing the, the path from like those early experiences to behaviors you have today. Yeah. And there's, I mean, Malfi seems to have two versions, depending on who's writing her at the time of what this means. And in the episode where she forget what episode this is it's the one that begins with tony having a dream where he's in the car and there's a caterpillar on the back of yeah ralph i think that is in ralphie's head i think that's calling all cars actually oh uh, okay yeah, yeah that yeah. does sound right yeah what do you think the dream means can't you just tell me what the fucking thing means i mean you obviously know why do we have to go through this exercise every time i don't obviously know i didn't have the dream the meaning is elicited through verbalization. And the Gehoxagogen is uh, framed up by the Ramistam. Where she says, look, the point of this dream interpretation is not that your dreams reveal secret truths about who you are. It's that the process of working through the interpretation of a dream together prompts you to have insights about what's on your mind at the moment. And Right. It's like reading tarot cards. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same way with the like peering into the past stuff that yeah. it, it's in thinking about earlier versions of yourself or events that seem meaningful to you that you're able to access information about how you're behaving at the moment. Right. So it's, it's not like a secret key to your... Um, Inner workings, right? The dream yeah. or the, the, the memory that's really just... That's like a little appetizer to kind of get you yeah, exactly. thinking, get you going. Yeah. But then, of course, there are moments in the show where Malfi is written as though, yes, dreams do have a secret meaning and these uh, events in your past really are the, the key in a very direct way to how you're behaving in the present. Right. Like the stuff with his panic attacks being from meat, kind of. Like that seems very... Yeah, exactly. Where that's not like, oh, you've come to an understanding of your panic attacks through thinking about your past. No, it's like, it's... oh, you found the secret... Yeah, the subconscious is rebelling in a mysterious, murky way that you can't understand. I mean, I think yeah. all those somatization stuff in the show is very, like, that's very Freudian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah the, the outlook of the show is super Freudian, even if, um, or, you know, Freudian in a kind of vulgar way where it's yes, like... Yes, yes, uh, very simple way. Yeah, teeth falling out means this, yes. and animals mean this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess I would also say in a broad general sense, David Chase, yeah, in the way the show is written is sort of a, I don't know, I don't want to say lazy, tentative Freudian. Yeah, uh, that's definitely the way that his mind works. And that's how he understands symbolism and understands, yeah, character development and also understands features of the unconscious. Yes, like all of the yes. supernatural stuff is yes, very yes. Freudian in expression. Yes, absolutely. Yes, very, um, very uh, turn of the screw. Yeah. I don't know. I think he believes in the effectiveness of therapy only 
so far as like a Freudian model can provide, like right. as an avenue for self-knowledge, not as an avenue for self-improvement. Yeah, I guess that's the the thing that we get out of all therapy scenes. We should talk also about the non-Malfi therapy scenes because they're... Yes, very interesting. Uh, off-brand, discount, bottom-of-the-bin therapists that other characters go to see. Yeah, because that's where the show gives its like broadest... I don't know, satire of what therapy is. Right, and of how little it can achieve. I mean, there's no one, no other therapist in the show. I mean, Melfi is not an incredible therapist, and no other therapist on the show like comes even close to... <laughs> right, all of the others are completely comically useless. Uh, like Janice's therapist. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Sandy, her. Sandy. Sandy, yes. Is? Yeah, the, <laughs> the... What does she tell? Like, you'll break up with Ralphie with the dignity and respect you're known for or yeah. something <laughs> yeah that scene is great it gets across like one of the i don't know chases warriors about therapy which is that in this one-on-one -on -one conversation in this room that's separated from your actual life you can present to the therapist a very deceptive version of yourself as right. janice clearly has to this right woman. and if the therapist isn't like looking for that if they're not like if they just take you at your word and they aren't like able to sort of white balance like the things you're saying about yourself then they can't do therapy <laughs> on you they just can't because the you that they're trying to do therapy on does not exist yeah even melfi talks about this process like that she found tony charming at the beginning but it, it took her like a couple of seasons to see the paranoia and the insecurities that make tony quite a pathetic figure not a figure that you can find charming anymore yeah, she goes on a little mini journey of that process in the episode where he's talking about the disabled kid that he and his friends used to make fun of. I think <laughs> they make him, what, sing Mac the Knife or something? Yeah. Like, this, this guy in my neighborhood used to call him Jimmy Smash. Now, he wasn't retarded, but we thought he was because he had one of these, um, whatchamacallits. What do you call that? Palette. Yeah. Where it's after she's had dinner with her annoying Medigan friends and she's like clearly like relaxing in Tony's presence because he's so charismatic and so right. normal and then he starts telling this anecdote about <laughs> torturing a disabled kid and you can see her face be like, oh, that's what I'm dealing with, right? But yeah, there's and there's just like tons, there's a ton of other shitty therapists. Like, yeah, the, um, the family therapist that Melfi goes to with Richard and yeah. Jason. Follow that up, Jace. <laughs> What is he? What's the terrible joke he tells? Well, he talks about like Melfi's husband, Richard. Oh, and right. He brings brings up, up that she's treating a sociopath. And mm -hmm. the therapist is like, you know, we had some black sheep in my family. Get <laughs> no, away. no that, that's funny as well. But before that, he makes a joke that like goes over like a lead balloon. I say refer this patient to a therapist that specializes in mafia depression. <laughs> Sam, this isn't funny. No, of course not. <laughs> I can't remember that. Okay. I wiped that out of my brain. It's awful. Yeah. And they're all yeah. just sitting there staring at him. Yeah. Why? Yeah. What are you guys doing here? <laughs> but uh, yes, then what is the joke he finishes with? It's not a joke exactly. He's just saying like, oh, we had some mafia people in my family. Some like getaway drivers, I think in Chicago. Or oh, something. yeah. He's but, like, but, oh, but... They were, those were some tough Jews. Yeah. And everyone like does not know how to respond to God, that. who is it that he... He's related to someone who actually was like a high up mafia guy yeah, yeah, who was yeah. involved with um, the JFK assassination. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, yeah. But my favorite character on the show, 
the character that I think is most consistently hilarious is Dr. Elliot, Elliot. Kupferberg. Mr. Too Damn Water Bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Played by Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah. Uh, pitch perfectly in just the most deadpan dumb guy way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, he has moments of like actually like insight into like very rarely the first but, the yeah. first scene that we see elliot yeah. he does have a little bit of insight yeah. um i forget exactly what it is but i recalled like making a note of it that oh this is kind of a different elliot than the guy we're gonna see for yeah, the rest of the show yeah. well because the rest of the show is i i don't even understand in universe why melfi goes to see him because <laughs> over the rainbow like he's just completely <laughs> he's totally yeah. he's disengaged he listens to nothing that Malfi says. He constantly tries to bring things around to talking about Tony or talking about like Malfi's weight gain yeah, or like trying drinking to, problem. Well, they're both constantly trying to own each other. Yeah. Like she's always been like, you're close, Elliot, but actually it was this. Let yes, me do yes, some that's therapy right. on myself. Like, that's the first, that's the first thing we see him where he does have like, I don't know, he gives a therapist-y yeah, yeah, yeah. take I that's, that's not in, completely um, off the ball. That's in Toodaloo. Yes, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. His and that's his first, his first line, which it's always a, cracks me up. Which that's is, an acceptable form of goodbye. It's an acceptable form of goodbye. <laughs> the man is not wrong. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but his other great line is after um, Malfi's telling him about this uh, Wizard of Oz dream that she's had about Tony. And she says, there's this music playing. And he just nods very sagely and says over the rainbow <laughs> <laughs> and then makes her like lets her sing the song like it's very yeah. painful yeah so that's that's the the gag with elliot that he always gets everything wrong wrong yeah but has total confidence that he's going to be right yeah yeah why are you paying money to see this guy yeah also he's completely unprofessional yes wildly the the whole scene in the blue comment is like, you could not... They should not even be at a party together. That's no. not... Like, if if you see your therapist in public somewhere, you're supposed to ignore them. Like, maybe like a nod from a distance. Like, yeah. you each draw one half of the therapy fish in the sand, and then that's it. Like Right. It seems like... I don't know what the show... I don't know if we actually get information about their prior relationship, but it seems like he was some kind of mentor or teacher to her at kind some of. stage. Yeah. But then she also talks about... Um, she says Krakauer is her mentor. Yeah. Which doesn't... That doesn't really come through. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And they never pick that relationship back up. Which, no. you know, it's a pity. He's a... No, it could have been interesting. interesting I think he character. died very soon after. Yeah. That makes... What was his name? Sully Berger? Sully Boyar. Sully Boyar, yeah. Yeah. I'm Sully Berger. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there's Janice. There's also Wendy Kobler. Talk about who is Meadows' one therapist. Who people like really hate on like because she is extremely cringy yeah um, but she okay wendy kobler i think is a counter example because the advice that she gives to meadow is one of the f- one of the few outs that meadow could have yeah yeah had, I, I, like, I, I, escape from your family yeah people make fun of her for like oh you're gonna write her a letter when she you know you don't even know what her grades aren't good right now why would you write her like you don't know anything about her like who cares who gives a fuck like she clearly needs to get out of this situation. Like, yeah. there is... N- 
Anyone? It would be it would be really good for Beto to go to Barcelona and do a degree there and build a life that is outside of the structure that she yes. she's in. Yes, and like yes, Wendy is cringe and like the way she talks and her being like it's a really hot school. Like okay, annoying, but seems like she's like an adolescent therapist. Probably works a lot with teenagers. Like that probably right. works on yeah, them. Yeah, it works like, on Beto. Yeah, that's part of being a therapist. Yeah, you have to like know your audience and play to your audience. That's part of how it works yeah her uh insistence on calling jackie jack is always however uh oh, yeah. too too painful to <laughs> I, I cannot uh, i have no apologetics for that <laughs> and yeah at every turn apart from krakauer the therapist who treats carmela for one session yes. therapy is viewed as totally useless a huge waste of time extremely self-indulgent and um nothing but a, a racket <laughs> exactly um krakauer is the only exception to this we've already put forward our thoughts on that scene and, and what it means but worth keeping in mind that the show thinks the only way to do effective therapy is to break all the rules of therapy the rules as the show conceives them right and just tell you what to do or yeah. not even tell you what to do just slap you in the face slap and you in say face, yeah you're doing you're a terrible you suck. person you fucking suck you dumb idiot which has its place but yeah it's a limited a limited view of what therapy can accomplish i think yeah. although they do mention a few times i think at least twice melfi brings up the idea of sending tony to a behaviorist i don't really know what the state of cognitive behavioral therapy was in the 90s but now now it's really like the prevailing model that you know if you go to see a therapist today you probably go to see someone doing some form of cbt or maybe dbt yeah um, cock and ball torture <laughs> and dick and ball torture <laughs> uh, but yeah the, that's why i don't go to therapy yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. There's some. There's sort of like a gesture, like the idea, like well, a behaviorist maybe could do more. But yeah, but but I think b because you're right that this is like Chase's way of working out his own experiences in therapy. There's no real interest in exploring like, oh well, okay, maybe psychiatry is a real discipline that might be able to change Tony's behavior. The focus is always on this um, general kind of overarching view of, of human psychology that the show takes which is that people are incapable of change yeah it is pointless <laughs> so chase has explicitly said that he went into therapy because of his own relationship with his parents and has also explicitly talked about how his mother was the model for livia in the show which we can come back to but yeah he he went because his relationship with his parents was dominating his mental landscape and was driving him nuts so it's not really a surprise that early seasons of therapy with tony are very focused on the parental relationships right it's already like very odd that she's a psychiatrist who went to medical school most psychiatrists do not do talk therapy so it's very unusual that she's doing this at all yeah well when was chase in therapy he is 76 um so this would have been 1975 so i guess it was different back then yeah, I mean, when we talked to Sam and I in our interview, what he said was when he went through That's true, it would have been around the school. same time. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, he didn't go to medical Right, school. he did a PhD. But yeah. that Freudian psychoanalysis was still the reigning orthodoxy, and that was in the 60s. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that Chase's experience with therapy in the mid-70s and, and later were, I don't know, the kind of thing that we see with Malfi on the show. Maybe it's not right to think of, like, Oh, is Malfi this or that? Because 
yeah, whatever and, she is is limited by the knowledge of the writers, which and, is not going to be you know perfect. And by the needs of the show. Yeah. But just I still think it is anachronistic for in the '90s and early 2000s psychiatrists to be doing extensive talk therapy. With yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's like a she's what people think therapy is before yes. they go to therapy. Yes. Yeah. So the conflict that is left over for Malfi is how is she going to react to Tony? Is she going to respond to him in the way that many other people do in the show? But after Employee of the Month, that is just answered in the negative. No, she is immune to what Tony is trying to do to the people around him. So there's just all of these kind of little failed launches that might have brought her story in a, in a different direction. But leaving all that aside, there is a structure to the Malfi story throughout the whole show, even if it's kind of inconsistent or there are, there are scenes that speak against it or that reveal the dissent between writers about what to do with her character. Yeah. If you were going to characterize her story, it would be something like the moral victory that she wins in Employee of the Month is ultimately undone by her long-term emotional relationship with Tony, where even though she doesn't allow herself to become a beneficiary of his crime, except in the sense except of like, in, yeah, accepting money from him, <laughs> she doesn't exercise the only real option available to her, which is total rejection of Tony, just total giving him up as a patient. Nothing else is really sufficient and that is the option that she exercises at the very end of the show in the penultimate episode. But I guess I would want to add that she doesn't cut off therapy with Tony. I mean, I don't think it's for a super noble reason. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I don't. I mean, I, I think she thinks or like allows herself to think, oh, I can't keep helping the sociopath be better at crime. But like, it seems to me more than anything, like she is just embarrassed for being had, for having been strung along by someone who, like pouring time and effort into someone who, it, you know, it is pointless. Yeah. And then being embarrassed about it in front of her friends, like yeah. more than anything. And it's, uh, that's such a wonderful scene, her last scene with Tony. And it's such an interesting scene because it was written by David Chase and he has talked explicitly and publicly about what he meant to convey with that scene but when you watch the scene it is so opposed to the vision of therapy that he has and it is so um in conflict with the understanding of the scene that he wrote that that he has what has he said about the scene well he just seems to think that the the thesis of this book the criminal personality is correct and and that when malfi gives up on tony it's because she's had a genuine realization about what kind of patient he is right what he is doing in therapy and how she can help him or rather not help him. But when we talk about that scene, we'll see that everything that Tony says speaks against the interpretation that Malfi is giving in that moment. And Yeah, he is being pretty open with her and like emotionally raw about yeah. AJ's suicide attempt. And Yeah, and she, she, you know, mishears or mistakes a lot of what he actually says to her in that moment. Yeah. And I think that speaks to how the show has like set up that relationship over six seasons, where David Chase's view that Tony is this incurably criminal personality, this sociopath, is obviously untrue. We know Tony by this stage. We know that he is a deeply evil person, and he's done disgusting things, especially by this, this stage when he's killed Christopher, you know, roped Carmela back into his life, but in yeah. a kind of without it changing any of his own behavior. But we also know that he's not a disgusting evil person because he was born that way or because he is kind of destined to be that way. We've also seen all of these indications that Tony has good inside him and Tony is capable of significant 
moral development. He does not choose to take that path, and we can talk about why he doesn't choose that. But the idea that he is just innately evil, innately criminal, it's impossible for the sh- for the show to sustain that claim by that point in the, the series. The the film work, I, I, like you said, makes a big deal, like zooming in on certain sentences from from this abridged version of the criminal personality about how criminals often like are kind and sentimental towards animals, babies, and their mothers. And I just want to say, having read the first volume of the criminal personality, and also just having like looked a little into the reception of it at the like at the time when it came out, it was very controversial. <laughs> it is by no means like a 100% accepted account of criminal psychology. Yeah, I mean, it, it argues, yes, that like criminals, who knows why they are the way they are, it doesn't matter. But criminals begin their criminal activities as children, and unless they grow out of it, they are just criminals forever. And we don't know why. He doesn't say it's because of genes. Exactly. He does... He doesn't deny that it's because of environmental factors. Very explicitly. Or because of, like, family environment. Yes, because of, yeah, it's not because of economic hardship. It's not because of abuse. The study makes a big deal about you can become a criminal if you grew up in a loving environment or if you grew up in an abusive environment. And we talked to parents, and most of the time, parents were more abused by their criminal children than the children were by the parents. And, you know, how, if, if environment makes people into criminals, then how come you could have two siblings who grow up and one becomes a criminal and one doesn't? Right, also, yeah. worth noting, if I recall correctly, Yokelson uh, consulted with William Sheldon, who was a mid-century psychologist, I think a borderline phrenologist. Like, he didn't look at head shapes, but he did think that, like, body types revealed your <laughs> temperament. I mean, he's where ectomorph, mesomorph, like, that comes from. Oh, like, okay. So... They don't say that in the book exactly. I mean, they do talk about the appearance of criminals at length. But yeah, they don't, they don't say it comes from genes. They don't say exactly where it comes from, but just that it is, yeah, essentially being a criminal is a seed planted in you from the time you're a child. And it has nothing to do with anything around you. And it can only really be figuratively beaten out of you through a certain kind of therapy that is not talk therapy, that is not psychodynamic therapy, once you're an adult. Right. So the first volume of this um, three-volume work deals with the criminal personality in descriptive terms. It tries to outline what criminals as a type are like. One of the criticisms that was leveled against it at the time of its publication was that virtually every... Everything. Yeah, every feature of a personality that you could have is at some point adduced as part of a criminal personality. Yes, criminals are, as a rule, very, very lazy. But occasionally they'll work very hard at some things. Right, or they're extremely arrogant and brash, but that this can disguise an inner timidity, and sometimes the timidity is what gets expressed rather than the, the brashness. Yeah, it like it, it's all over the place. They go into like that it's a spectrum, and that hardened criminals are at one end, and responsible people are at the other end, but every kind of like, yeah, personality feature that you could imagine gets uh, roped in to being possibly an indicator of a criminal personality. Right, so when Malfi reads this um, study on the show... It zooms in on a bunch of quotes. One of those quotes is, The criminal's sentimentality reveals itself in compassion for babies and pets. Now that describes Tony to a T. He loves animals. He cannot process his compassion for his employee Tracy 
except through this displaced version where he's um, right. angry at, at Ralphie yeah. over how he's treating a horse. Animals are obviously very important. The ducks. Um, yeah, Tony loves children. One of the most, like, one of the few, like, actually nice touching moments in the last, I think in the last season is when Tony is playing with, um, in the ride, when Tony is playing with Janice's baby. Uh, um, it's, yeah. like, actually, like, a very nice moment. Right. But the thing is, Okay, that describes Tony, but the book itself follows that up by saying that occasionally the criminal personality will disguise this sentimentality or express its criminality as like a intense hostility and harshness towards vulnerable, innocent things like babies and animals. So right. it would have been perfectly possible to highlight, yeah, highlight the other yeah. <laughs> if yeah. Tony had been a very different character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the things that, that interest Chase about this study are, are the other claims that it zooms in on that the criminal uses insights to justify heinous acts and therapy has potential for non-criminals for criminals it becomes one more criminal operation so the the thesis is that therapy is generally useless Malfi is a pretty good therapist especially in comparison to absolute um, fuck-ups like Elliot but Tony is just not the kind of person who could respond to therapy in a useful way and what he has in fact been doing in therapy for these past six years is finding ways to make more acceptable to himself what he does for a living. Right. Which is, I mean, he has done that. That's not completely untrue. Yeah, yeah. He did read Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu Machiavelli, <laughs> Prince, Prince, Sun Tzu Machiavelli. Chinese Prince Machiavelli. Really, yeah. Yep, that's right. And, and especially throughout the sixth season, there are a lot of scenes because it was so, you know, directed by Chase, there are a lot of scenes that support this idea of what Tony is doing in therapy. In, um, in the second coming, after AJ's suicide attempt, the final therapy session in that episode is Tony talking about AJ trying to kill himself. But then he, he says, you know, I'm a good guy, basically. I love my family. Why me, huh? Doesn't every parent make mistakes? Why not you? Because I'm a good guy, basically. I love my family. There's a balance. There's a yin and a yang. You think you know. You think you learned something. Like when I got shot. Know what? All right. When I was in Las Vegas, I took peyote. Curiosity, I don't know. You were searching for something. Well, I saw some things. What was there? It's kind of hard to describe. I mean, you've done it, right? Acid, shit like that? No. All I can say is, I saw for pretty certain that this, everything we see and experience, is not all there is. What else is there? Something else. That's as far as I'm going to go with it. I, I don't fucking know. Right. Now, that is, if you read this book, one of the key strategies by which criminal personalities, according to this theory, justify their own bad behavior by saying that, okay, I can't be bad because I love this person or that right, person. Right, or because I have not done X. And Tony does this as well. He right, talks yeah. about how he, the real criminals are the people who, like, or the people who belong in hell or the people who torture little children, like, yeah. which he does not do. He's a soldier. <laughs> yeah, he follows codes yeah. and orders. But then in, in that episode, Tony moves from talking about his son's suicide attempt to talking about his peyote trip that he's had in <laughs> Vegas and 
this uh, realization that he had that our mothers are like buses and we're all <laughs> trying to get back on the bus. Like, it, it's complete nonsense. Yeah. But Even though extremely... Melfi loves it. <laughs> yeah, Melfi gets into it. It's like, oh my God, that is so insightful. Well, <laughs> I don't know how serious she is in that scene. No, but, I know. But it's also him immediately distracting himself from this major life event that proves, like, that he does not love his family, that he's not doing a good job with his son, to thinking about this total gibberish that he's just come up with and being extremely impressed with his own insight right like again why was he in vegas to (laughs) to cheat on his wife cheat on his wife with the uh i won't say girlfriend but yeah former flame of the son figure he just murdered to like cuck him from beyond the grave right so tony is completely gone at this point and, and chase is very careful to set up that like at this point therapy is really just tony um ignoring the horror show that his his life has become but is that honest to where tony's come from in the rest of the show and i really think it's not because we've seen tony have genuine insights in therapy so in season one episode nine Boca, the episode where junior destroys his relationship with this this one person who seems to bring him genuine happiness bobby yeah bobby that's right his original bobby I never even noticed that they had the same name. Yeah. He huh. then replaces her with a new Bobby to feed him peppers. <laughs> this is this is also the episode where Meadow's soccer coach rapes one of her classmates. And Tony brings this problem to Malfi and says, you know, what would you do? The initial impulse of all the men in Tony's life is to go after this guy and kill him. But Tony brings this to Malfi and asks, you know, what would you do? And this scene is interesting both for what it reveals about how Tony thinks of therapy and about what therapy can actually do for Tony. So he says to Malfi, What would you do? You'd call the cops. Who'd get some judge? Who'd give him psychiatric counseling? So maybe he could talk about his unhappy childhood and and we could have sympathy for the fuck. Because he's a real victim here, right? Malfi does give him good advice in that episode. I forget exactly what she says, but you can clip it in. Discredit psychology all you want. But I continue to ask the question, why do you think you, Anthony Soprano, always has to set things right? Yeah, and Tony takes that on board, especially after his his friend, not just therapy, but his friend Artie, tells him the same thing, that he's very angry at this person and he wants revenge on him, but he also thinks that it's not their place to execute him. Tony eventually decides not to carry out justice on his own. The guy is arrested and Tony, we see him truly happy for one of the very few you know, instances in the show of, of that happening. When yeah. he comes home... I mean, he's also drunk. Yeah, but, he's very yeah. drunk, but he's giggling and he, he says at the very end of the episode that the reason he's happy is that he didn't hurt nobody. Yeah, for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. He, Which, by the way, this is contrasted with earlier in the episode when they think the soccer coach is going to move to a new school. They absolutely do take that into their own hands and are doing all kinds of <laughs> right. like, my name is Clarence. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> to try and get him to stay. And then. Yeah. So the question is how do we square that with the way the show treats therapy at the end of its run, not at the beginning? Why does it ignore these moments where Tony really does learn something from talking to Malfi or is able to change his behavior? I'm walking down the street like Lucky LaRue. Got my hand in my pocket Thinking about you I ain't a hurting nobody I ain't a hurting no one 
There's 300 men in the state of Tennessee. They're waiting to die. They won't never be free. I ain't hurting nobody. I ain't hurting no one. Six million seven hundred thousand and thirty-three lights on. You think someone could take the